My, my title uh, of the study today is The Lost Son. And we've heard this parable before. The, the parable of the prodigal son. I, I think it's a famous parable that not only do we as believers know it, but even uh, non-believers and secular people know about the parable of the prodigal son. I have for my title of the study is The Lost Son. And we've been seeing how Jesus has been giving these parables about when someone loses something that's very dear and near to them. I, I, I think of my own life in this situation. Of, of, and, and you guys have those testimonies too. How there, there was a season maybe in your life, that for me there was, where I was lost. And I was out there in the world and, and I, I didn't ha- have a relationship with the Father, with God, with Jesus. And he wanted and desired that relationship with me so much that he allowed me to really just completely fail in life. And to just be surrounded by so much of my own filth that I, I, I had to come back to that place where I was going to honor God and put him first. And you guys have those testimonies too. And maybe, you know, you're someone who you've been raised in church and you, and you never went off and have this crazy testimony where as far as sometimes people, like you see someone coming off of drugs and you're like, man, that guy has an awesome testimony or like some crazy lifestyle. And you're like, man, that, that's cool. But I, I've been, you know, growing up in church. I never went that far. That's a testimony in itself that God has kept you all those years. That he kept you safe from what the world could have done to you. And even in that, even in that, I realized that there's people who, who were raised in church who came to a point where they realized I cannot earn my way into heaven. And they maybe went from a place of legalism, of, of trying to be acceptable to Jesus, to finally realizing, okay, Jesus, I'm going to accept your grace. I want to receive it. And that's a hard thing for us to do. I want to read the scripture to us today before we dive into it. We've heard this story before, but this is going to be a a great, not only reminder, but the Lord shows us new things every time. In Luke's gospel, chapter 15, beginning with verse 11, it says, Then he said, this is Jesus speaking, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. I'm going to stop there for, for the moment. In, in this parable, you know, sometimes we see this as, oh, this is a great lesson for the non-believer, right? To come and to, to come to the Lord and see how the Father is calling him. But as I look around the room, I see today here a bunch of believers. 
So it would be foolish for me to then try to convert you all this morning to, to Jesus because you guys are saved. However, even in our salvation, we still have moments where we become prodigals, right? Where we still step away from the Lord, from Jesus, from that relationship. And I like this example that it's given here that this son was still his father's son, but he was lost. And the, the father was still waiting for him to come back. I, and what I think of for me personally right now as I went through this, of what the Lord has been working in my heart as far as where I was wrong, where I was off, and the things that I need to correct in my life. If you guys were here on this past Wednesday night, it was an awesome time of, of prayer and worship. And I shared with some of you guys who were here that I realized that my relationship with the Lord was, was an error. I, I, I was fumbling, and this is why. I find myself in the season where I, I was studying for Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, Friday nights, on a cycle. And, and I was in the Word a lot because I was preparing for the study. And I saw this as, you know, this is how me and the Lord, He's ministering to me, I'm good. And I began to lose focus. I began to lose focus in, in my time of studying where sometimes it was hard for me to just sit there and to just absorb the word. And, and, and I began to question and wonder why is it so hard for me to just sit there at the Lord's feet? And it, this was kind of going on for a few weeks. And I, I started to ask the Lord, okay, show me, show me where my error. And I started to look at my mind. Maybe it's my mind. Maybe it's like, ADHD is kicking in or something. I don't know. And I started to, to look at what, what psychologists might say to help someone focus. And interestingly enough, I, I found this one psychologist who was talking all about meditation and well-wishing. And I saw that and I was like, well, I, I don't think that's what the Lord wants me to do is to focus on ohms and ohm. Like, I, I think that's actually entering a realm of Eastern cultic weird stuff where we're putting our mind into a spiritual realm, opening it up to whatever spirits are out there. But it's something I did realize about what the psychologist was saying to help people focus, I was like, wait a second. Meditation and then well-wishing? That sounds familiar to me, right? That kind of sounds like what the Lord tells us to do, to meditate on his word, and then to pray, to pray for yourself, to pray for others, to pray for the Lord's work to be done. And all of a sudden, I felt this conviction in my heart that I realized, you know what? In my study time, I haven't been praying like I used to. I'm praying, Lord, just help me with the, get the study together. But I'm not praying for others. I'm not praying for what the Lord wants to do in my life. And then I'm also, too, there, there's a, a lack of my own personal devotion. And I realized, man, that fundamental thing, the relationship with the Lord, when it gets off, we start to kind of act weird. We start to allow things into our life, our, our mind, our heart that creep up and the, the old man starts to return. And all of a sudden, what's more interesting to us is the things that we used to be involved in rather than the Lord. So we, we need to come to this place where we return like this lost son. Let's look at verses 11 through 13. It says, then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now, something I really enjoy about Jesus' parables is to me, I, I see them as like cinema. It's like this, he's creating this story because people love stories. In, in our culture, we have movies that tell us stories. And now he's introducing the characters of this story that he's bringing up. So we have the characters. We have the father, we have the older son, and we have the younger son. And this is a, an illustration for us. The father is representative of God. And both of the sons really... If you look at their, the way they behave, they're, they're both really sinners. One of them is a prodigal sinner who leaves. 
And the second one who we're going to look at at the end of our study is more of a legalistic and a judgmental sinner. And with this, what we begin to see in the prodigal son who says, you know what, father, I want you to give me my inheritance now before you're dead. Basically saying, dad, you're dead to me. I want to go live my life and do what I want to do. And so just give me my inheritance now. It's like, woof. How did, how did he get to that point? What kind of rebellion and selfishness was building up in him where he would tell his father, you're dead to me. And then lovingly enough, gracefully enough, the father said, okay, he divided his livelihood. That word for livelihood, it's interesting. It's the same word that just means life. He gave his life then to the son. Go, go for it. Gave him the blessing. And the son then took that. And as I'm seeing this, I'm like, man, this prodigal son, first off, he became so prideful in his heart. They said, you know what, dad, I don't like the way we run things here. I want to run it the way I want to run it. And I, and I see this pride is built up in this young man. And I realized my first point of I studied today, something that we need to do is we need to humble yourself. Humble yourself is my first point, point one. Because when we humble ourselves, we're not going to end up trying to live out that selfish life. We're going to put the Lord first, others first. Because I wonder, how do we get to that point where we wanna, don't want to do what God is telling us to do? Basically saying, God, give me what you owe me. And what I realized, if we really got what we deserved, we deserve hell. That's what we really deserve. We're sinners. However, God still gave us a desire to want good things in life. He put that in us. And, and I, I don't think that's something wrong to want good in our life. He even gave us this void in our heart where only God can fill that void. And then as we try to like put other things in there to make that void full, it just makes that hole that's only meant for God, it's, it distorts it. But God can heal that. It isn't wrong to want good in your life. It isn't wrong for the single person to want to be married. It isn't wrong for a dad to, to find a good job. And, and, and all those things that we desire in life, those are good things that God intended us to desire. But when you guys give gifts, there's, there's an order, right, to, to giving gifts. First of all, like you're willing to give someone a gift because you like them, you love them, hopefully. And you want them to enjoy the gift. With, with the holidays coming soon, sometimes we think all the focus is on, on getting gifts sometimes. Especially, I think, as younger children, they're like, oh, the gifts, like, it, that's great. But we need to begin to teach, you know, it's also, it's better to give than it is to receive. Now, if somebody demands a gift from you, then it's not really a gift anymore, is it? It's more like payment. They're saying, I, I want the newest AirPods. I want the newest iPad. Like, who, who are you? Who raised you? <laughs> and we need to be careful with that. But we as believers, we do the same thing to God our Father sometimes, don't we? Like, God, come on. Like, you see what I'm doing? You see how I've been praying and, and devoting worship and, and Bible study and church and you see all this yet how come you're not giving me this one thing just this one thing we feel like we deserve it at times but that's not the same as a gift then we don't God does not owe us anything but he still despite that wants to bless us but there's an order to it see the sin in, in this prodigal son's heart, it, it then began to lead him to action. First, it was in his heart, that pride. And then slowly but surely, he started to think, oh, I, I'm going I'm to ask my dad for that money, and I'm going to leave. I'm going to go. And then sure enough, in verse 3, he went. Gathered all his possessions together, went to a far country. See, sin separates us from the father. The inheritance that's here it's a gift. It's wrongfully taken. It's not received by the son. And then what does he do with those gifts, with, the, with that money? He begins to abuse it. That word for prodigal, 
What it literally means is someone who's living a riotous, immoral, reckless, and extravagant, and wasteful lifestyle. Like a modern day Las Vegas, he went out there. Look at verse 14. But when he spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. Now this is kind of the second part of the story. First we see the kind of the rebellious son. He starts to say, hey, okay, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do. This is my plan. I'm going to go. And hopefully he's thinking he's going to be successful. But then once he goes out there and he's in the world now and he's enjoying it for a season because sin is fun for a season. You know, I, I, with, with the high school students that I used to teach, I used to often tell them, hey, look, man, like, drugs and sex, like, yeah, it, it's going to feel good for a moment. I was like, but its end is death, and it just leaves you in a worse place than you started. And there, there's no vice, there's no sin that can help you in trial. It just makes things worse. And now he's in this lifestyle, so much so that he spends all his money. He was being wasteful. He wasn't being wise. I recognize that because he spent all to fill himself, he found himself empty. Now, this is what I notice. You can have the best father, like the one given, like God, our father, and still, at times, a child will rebel, even against that. We have Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Maybe you guys are parents here today and you're training your, your sons, your daughters to be walking in the Lord. And even if you could do all the right things and make all the right moves, read all the right Christian books and do all the best planning and giving, they still have free will. And they still have choices to make. And I want to encourage you guys to continue to love them. Man, the love of a mother and father for that prodigal child. It breaks walls. This son, he was prepared by the father to receive an inheritance that was going to be good, but he still chose to do evil. Now, there are fathers in this world who don't prepare their children. There are fathers who, sad to say, they, they don't prepare them for the good things to come in life. They spoil them. But a good son will even submit to the preparation of a father. He won't be foolish. So maybe there's something in your life today. You're like, man, Lord, I, I just want that particular blessing. And maybe the Lord's even promised it to you, whatever that blessing is. And you're saying, okay, God, you promised that it was going to come. But where is it? I'm waiting. Come, put it in the microwave, please. Two minutes. Like, let's ding. It's here. Come on, God. I'm waiting for it. But God's telling us maybe if we don't have it yet, it's probably because we're not ready for it yet. If God hasn't given it to you yet, it's probably because you're not ready for it yet. I'm not saying that the day's not coming and that it's not going to come, but he's preparing you. In this land, there was a famine going on. That means that there was no life-sustaining food for anyone there. And I realize spiritually in the world, without Jesus, there's no true fulfillment. Because we're designed to need God. But now this man, he put himself as a servant of the world. And I wonder, what will a, a man give? What will a, will a woman give in exchange for their own soul? Like this man, will they give everything? In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 26, I have a verse for us this morning. It says, for by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread. See, sometimes we see in the human nature that they will get an idol in their life and they will make themselves less than whatever that idol is and they will worship that idol, even if it's just something as simple as technology, as a nice car, as, as a job, as a relationship, whatever it could be. People submit themselves to those things and they make themselves less than what that idol is in their life. 
But when we submit ourselves to the Lord and worship him, God brings us up. The Bible teaches us that when we humble ourselves before the Lord, he will exalt us. Which leads me to my second point. Sin enslaves the sinner. We know that Satan is an evil master. That he desires to kill, to steal and destroy us. He offers us pleasure and fame, success and power. And in return, he gives us bondage. We know what it's like at times to have been a slave to sin. The Bible even talks about being a slave to the law before we become to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. I used to look at the Ten Commandments. I used to look at the Christian church, God's church, and think, I can never be that way. I can never love going to church. I can never love being around a, a, a bunch of peop, weird people and, and holding hands and worshiping the Lord. That's so weird to me. It was foreign. And I, I became literally a slave to that mentality of like, well, that's not me. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm never going to like that stuff. But once God got a hold of my heart and I submitted myself and then someone invited me to like, oh, come check out the high school ministry. Okay, cool. Checking it out. So it was like kind of like weird, but I was like, all right, Lord, like you've said, like I'm saved now. So I'm, I'm going to at least take a step of faith and put myself in this little ministry. And then people start trying to talk to me. I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I was in the world. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. Kind of nervous, you know, but then slowly but surely starting to kind of like realize that, hey, these people aren't here to like kill me or hurt me. They're here to love on me. And there was those people in our lives maybe that who, they helped you along the way to come to know the Lord. And they made an impact on your life. And you remember those people. And it, it was the love, mostly, I think, from them that, that really showed me like, man, maybe there is something to this Jesus thing. I remember once being out there in the world and uh, this pastor, Brendan Beeler, he, one night I, I left home. He found out I left. My parents called him. They told on me. And he said, hey, I want you to come to my house tonight. I want you to, to I, like, I know, like, you left your parents' house, but look, just come stay with me. And I was like, nah. I was like, I'm not going to go to your house, man. I'm not. And I was like, I can't do that. I'm sorry. Like, I just can't. Like, I felt, like, wrong about it because I knew I was, like, I was lost. But I never forget those types of moments where I was like, man, this guy was willing to let me go into his home and, and just stay there. You know, I don't, I don't know too many people who would do that. But that kind of love that, that goes beyond what your, your current situation. Satan's not that way. The world isn't going to be that way. Sure, they'll promise you success but their intention, it, it all leads to death. So when Jesus comes into our life, we then become free in Christ. I notice as this prodigal son, he's now in this land, he's working as a slave, as a servant for the citizen of this country. And he's working with these pigs. And, he, and he's, he's feeding the pigs the swine. It says the, these pods. What that literally is, it's these husks from what was known as this carob tree. It looks like this giant edamame, which I don't like edamame, but it looks like it. And he's just giving it to these pigs. And he's so hungry that he's like, man, I, I wish I could just have some of this food. But the food wasn't even for him. And I'm like, man, how desperate do you have to be to like edamame? It's interesting. <laughs> but he was looking at that food like he wanted it. And now to keep in mind, with, with where they lived at that time, to be working around pigs for the Jews was a no-no. Ceremonially, the pigs were not to be touched or messed with because a lot of times the Canaanites, they took pigs and they would sacrifice them to idols and God wanted to keep his Israeli people away from the pigs. And also there was the dietary laws that he placed there because back then the pork, they just ate whatever was on the ground. They had a lot of infection in it. And they didn't have ways to, to cure the, that meat. So God gave them those laws. So him being around pigs also 
was making himself unclean. And he was doing that. He was making himself unclean in order to make a buck. In order that he can get some money so that he can get some food. Why? Because he's desperate now. And sin leads us to desperation. Sometimes there's those circumstances where I think of Lot, like Lot and his, his daughters there in Sodom and Gomorrah. And he, he's then offering his own daughters to a mob of men so that the mob of men don't go and attack these two men who came to him, those angels. And I'm like, man, what was the circumstances that got someone to that point of desperation that was so low? You know, it's kind of interesting when you, when you look at the, the differences between men and, and women and how God has gifted women to get so in tune with the Holy Spirit. Their emotions uh, can get so in tune with what the Spirit is doing at times. And you could see them get so close in that presence. And then in like manner, when they, uh, they go the opposite way, when they, when they have nothing to do with the Lord, a, a woman can get so in tune with, with, with darkness. Now that it's, it's, I'm not saying anything negative about women here this morning. I'm not. I'm just saying they have that, that depth of emotion that, that can go to those levels. So I encourage us for the women to go to the, that level of being so in tune with the Holy Spirit that you can be used as an awesome vessel and they're in a place of desperation when they're there. We don't want to be slaves to sin anymore. Stop acting like the way we used to act. And I like to use that word acting because we're just acting. It's not who God made us to be. Let's look at verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So this is now the turning point in our story in the, in the movie that we're watching right now. This guy's in this place of desperation. He's there with the pigs and the slop and he's so hungry. He's looking at that food like, man. And then in verse 17, the first few words, when he came to himself, he realizes what's going on. My third point of my study today related to this. Point three, discern truth. Perhaps you've heard the phrase said before, Oh, you are beside yourself. They used to say that in, in the Bible. And that means someone who's crazy, someone who's irrational. Who they're talking to themselves. It's insane and foolishness. It says when he came to himself, when he realized and was honest with himself of what he was doing, of what was going on in his life. Honest about his circumstances. And that's what we need to be honest about. Where are we today? In our walk. How did we get here? And, and what do we really want in our life? What is God calling us to do? Are we living out that purpose-filled life? Or are we lost? Because truth needs to be revealed to us. You know, in this study, my dad was just telling me this. We, we can preach and we, and we can read the word but unless the Holy Spirit gives revelation to a believer, to someone, then, then it's not going to have that effectiveness. It's not going to change the heart. So that's why we need to pray. That the Lord would open our eyes to truth to see what's really happening in our life. And also for our family's lives. I remember I used to pray for those who I wanted to get saved. And I, I would have, have this mentality or this thought. I'm like, okay, Lord, would your Holy Spirit open their eyes to see that the choice that they have to make, it's, it's really an easy choice when you look at the world and you look at God the Father and his love. 
It's foolishness not to choose God. So I pray, God, open their eyes to truth. May it help them to see. Help them to see that even, let's say if it's a believer who just needs to submit, help them to see that submitting to God and to his will is going to be the best thing for them. And we could pray that for our friends, our family members. When this man, the prodigal son, when he comes to himself, he remembers his father's kingdom. He looks back at where he was in the love of the father, blessed by the father with the father's provision. He remembers how his father treated the servants, that his father was a good and a loving father and also even a loving master. He realizes then his sin. He realizes that I did wrong by taking the money from my father early. I did wrong by being prideful and living this lifestyle. So the first thing he then seeks in his mind is I need to ask for forgiveness. He humbles himself. And then he creates this plan in his head, okay, I'm just going to go to my father and offer to the father myself as a servant. No longer expecting the the blessing of a son anymore. He just, just says, look, I'll just be your servant, God, Father. And this is seeking true goodness, true provision and fulfillment. I, I think of the, another parable that we're going to learn about later on in Luke's gospel, chapter 18. There's one where Jesus is telling them, because there's these guys who are self-righteous about their walk. And Jesus is telling these Pharisees, look, gives them a parable. Two men, they go to the temple to pray. And one of those men was a Pharisee. And the other guy was a tax collector. And the Pharisee began to pray out loud in front of everyone. I thank you, God that I'm not like these sinners over here, or maybe over here, and that I fast. I, I, I collect tithes, and I'm glad that I'm not like this tax collector. And then the tax collector who was on the side, wouldn't even come near, began to beat his chest and say, oh God, as he's praying, oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that that tax collector who said he was a sinner returned home justified before the Lord and not the Pharisee. See, for those who exalt themselves, they're going to be humbled. And for those who humble themselves, they're going to be exalted by the Lord. So are we sinners? Yeah, absolutely we're sinners. I saw it recently, this TikTok video. I don't have TikTok, but somehow they still come across my way. <clears throat> I saw this TikTok video of this guy saying, hey, and he's a, he's a pastor. He was saying, look, I'm tired of hearing Christians say that we're sinners saved by grace. Saying you're not sinners anymore. You're saints. And I was like, mm. didn't sit well with me. I was like, how do you define, what, what, are you perfect now? You're not a sinner anymore? You don't make mistakes? No, we are sinners saved by grace. It doesn't mean that we're now less. It doesn't mean that we're in bondage to sin by saying we're a sinner. It just, it's the nature of our flesh. And until we are in heaven with Jesus, with our new body, our new life, we'll, we'll be in this state. So that's what we look forward to. We look forward to when Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant, and gives us a new life. In verse 20, it says, and he rose, <coughs> excuse me, and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to the father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet 
and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. See the father, he's, he's looking out and he sees the son coming. And the father runs to his son. Runs. That's how Jesus and the father, our God, the father wants to run to us. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Which leads me to my fourth point. The father loves you. We recognize the love of a father. He ran because it was his son who was coming to him. His father, the father loved the son. And we see the repentance of the son now coming to the father. And that's something that we need to have in our life every day is that repentful heart. And because of this, what does the father do? He doesn't come at him with condemnation, with judgment. He gives him a new robe and a new life. And gifts that the son didn't even have before. The sandals, this is provision, something that he could walk in now. And then there's a great celebration for his son who was lost returning. And there's going to be such a celebration when Jesus has us, his bride, with him in heaven. Now some see this fatted calf here in verse 23. as symbolic of Jesus. Sacrificed for the son here, for the prodigal son. But just like Jesus was sacrificed for us to be with the Father, sustained with him. Jesus said to his disciples, look, this is my body. It's broken for you. We're having communion today. We're going to remember that. And as I see all this, I I am reminded of my own personal testimony. That I I was lost. I, I allowed myself from the time of middle school to my college years to go into the world. I was in, introduced with, with sex and drugs and, and pornography and the, and the rave scene. And I, and I went for all of that. The music. And I thought that was going to be my life. I was like, this is the sin that I love to do. And I don't want to do anything else. And God allowed me basically to live that way to the time. I even, there was a point where I believed that I had committed the unpardonable sin. And that God was done with me. Which was a lie from Satan. If you believe that you've committed the unpardonable sin and that God's done with you, it's not true. That's a lie from the enemy. Because you're here today. You feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit ever in your life? It's because the Holy Spirit's still working in you. And eventually I came to that place where I just, I was broken in my life because sin had gotten me to a point where my life was in shambles. So I said, okay, God, this is the way I've been living my life, and I hate it. So why don't you take over? I'm going to give you control. And I didn't even necessarily believe that it was going to work when I first did it, when I first gave my life to the Lord. I was like, okay, God, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll try this Christian thing out. I believed that there was a God. I just never had a relationship with him. And so I said, okay, God, I'm going to try this, this Christian thing out. Because I know if it doesn't work, like, like the world is still there for me. But I didn't have any other option. And Jesus took all my options away. And so I, I started to read my Bible. I started to go to church. And as I was doing that, suddenly as I was going through the Bible for the first time ever, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me through his word. And it was weird that the, the things that I was going through in life were, were coming out of the text. And the, the Lord was speaking directly into those things that I needed to do the things I needed to get rid of, the things I needed to begin to partake in in my life and do. And all of a sudden I was like, whoa, like this is, this is what it is to, to be a believer? I remember my parents too when I first came home that night and I told them, hey, like I'm, I'm done. I, I took a bag of my drugs and went to the park and I burned it all. I was like, I'm done with it. I, I don't want to do this anymore. I know it's like a little dramatic, but that's how I was. And I was like, I'm, I'm done with this. It was for me, it was like, this is what I'm putting, like, I'm throwing that away. I'm done with it. 
I went to my parents. I gave my mom my pipe at the time. I was like, here. I was like, I'm broken. I'm empty. And I don't want to do this anymore. And I think she got scared, first of all, because she's like, there's a pipe on the bed. And then she was like, okay. Like, but she knew. She knew like it was, she was like, okay, this is, this is God doing work. Because my mom, I think, was that prayer warrior, for sure, for my life. Praying for her son, in tears for her son. And she called my dad, and my dad said, let's pray. Embraced me, they hugged me, they loved on me, they prayed with me, I went through the sinner's prayer. And, and then I never turned her back. And have I had mistakes? Yeah, have I had things that the Lord has allowed me to struggle with? Absolutely. Certain things overnight, God took away. Certain sins, God allowed me to struggle with them for a while. To overcome, to learn what it is to be his son, to learn what it is to say no to the things of this world so that I can submit myself fully to the Lord. And eventually I learned, look, it's not about what God can give me because God did give me a new life. I loved it. And then I came to a place where I said, okay, God, you've given me a new life. Now here, I want to give my life back to you. I want to serve you. What do you want me to do? And I hope that encourages you guys this morning. Just, you know, God loves you. And yeah, God can give you guys blessings when you ask for them, and he's great because he gives us those things. But what about just presenting yourself to the Lord and just saying, Lord, uh, I just want you to have me. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? What do you want with my life? Now, at the end of this movie that we're watching right now, in verse 25, it says, now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and he has received him safe and sound. Your father has killed the fatted calf, but he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who was devoured, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. So in this, these few, few verses, we see the judgmental brother now. He's accusing, first of all, the father of doing wrong by blessing the prodigal son who's returned. And he also accuses the brother of receiving wrongly. And what's interesting here is I see this guy who's accusing his father and the prodigal son of doing wrong. I recognize who do we know as being the accuser of the brethren? It's Satan, right? That's his title. He's the accuser of the brethren, condemning. Which leads me to my fifth point. Satan is an accuser. Now this is important because this is what Satan wants to do in your life. He wants to condemn you. He wants to pull you away from God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it says, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Now that we know there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. See, condemnation is when we sin and then we feel guilty, so we walk away from God. We're like, okay, God, I don't deserve you. I'm going to walk away from you. That's not what God wants. God wants us to be walking with him. We fall, we stumble. He wants us to be right there with him. Come back. He doesn't want us to be condemned. He wants us to have conviction that leads us back to him. Because conviction will lead us back to God. And condemnation will lead us away from him. Now Satan, because we know him to be an accuser. And he uses condemnation in our life. His target then is our heart. It's our conscience. He's coming after us in that. There's a portion in Zechariah chapter 3 where Zechariah sees this vision of the nation of Israel 
That's quite interesting. I have the verses up this morning. It says, Zechariah chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. It says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. So this is what Zechariah is now seeing in a vision in the heavenly realm. He sees Joshua, the high priest of Israel, standing before the Lord, and then he sees Satan opposing Joshua. And the Lord said to Satan in verse 2, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? So here he's saying, look, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, for condemning my servant. Isn't my servant, wasn't he pulled out of the fire like a log? And that's what Israel was doing, that God had pulled them out. And then in verse 3, it says, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. So the vision here, what Zechariah was seeing was that Israel would return to the Lord and that God would remove their idolatry, remove their sin and bless them with a new life, a new robe with that armor of God that we can walk in. And that's what God wants to do in our life. Satan's going to try to accuse us and condemn us. But Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. I recognize that Satan's weapon is accusation. He wants to accuse us to walk away. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, this title, for the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Amen. Satan is a defeated foe. And his purpose in accusing us is so that we can be guilty according to God's will. That he, we can find an indictment against ourselves according to God's will. So what do we do? How, what is our defense then against this? It's Jesus. The interceding son of God. Jesus. In 1 John chapter 2 verses 1 through 2. It says, and If anyone sins... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. See, it's Jesus. He intercedes. He gets in the way between us and judgment. And then one more verse for you guys who if you struggle with condemnation at times, Romans chapter 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. See, God loves you guys. He's not condemning you. He's calling you to himself. And as we end with these last two verses, back in Luke's gospel, it says, and he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. He's talking to the jealous brother. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. This leads me to my last point this morning. Point six, rejoice with the saved. Rejoice with those who are saved. We can turn the, that accusing and that judgmental mentality that we sometimes have because it slips in. You see someone who kind of comes here, they kind of walk a little different, talk a little different, and we're like, I don't know, this guy, I don't think he's saved. <laughs> but you no, know, that's that judgmental spirit in us because we're like, oh, they're not doing the way things that I would do things. But God still has his place for differences in the body of Christ. So we need to turn that accusing into blessing. And we need to allow also in our life for forgiveness. Not only for ourselves, but for others. 
When we, we see sometimes we were like, God, just forgive me of my sins. Be gracious. Be merciful to me. But then to our enemies, we're like, but don't be gracious and merciful unto them. And far be it that I should show grace and mercy to my enemies. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught us to love our enemies. Jesus washed the feet of Judas. How humbling is that? If we hold that resentment, that bitterness in our heart, then we're giving the enemy a foothold in our life. We're giving the enemy room for us to then build up in hate and that, that calloused heart that is hardened towards others, towards our enemies. And sometimes we let judgment creep in on people who are coming to church. And I want to encourage you guys because I see you guys here often. When we see newcomers coming to, to church and they look different, they got tattoos, they got piercings, and they look like they're just, you know, motorcycle riders or something, you know, love on them. Because we're not, we're not about kicking someone out of church for having those types of things. We want to love on people. I think often of, of the, the movement, the whosoevers, and just a lot of, the, when they first started to come out and do all their, their evangelism and their witnessing, a lot of people had a problem, a lot of Christians had a problem with them. The reason being was because they looked so radical. They're like, oh, like that. I don't, I don't see how, how God can, can say that that's a Christian. And I saw thousands of people coming to know the Lord through them. I was one of those people who around that time, right when I got saved, the whosoever started their movement and I started to get, a, get involved with them. And the Lord was showing them, showing me that there was love coming from them, from the Lord. So in our study, we see we need to humble ourselves. That sin, it will enslave us if we allow it. So we need to ask that God would get, help us to discern truth. Because our Father, he loves us so much. He sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. Recognize there's an enemy in this world, Satan the accuser. But we can rejoice knowing that he's a defeated foe. That we can rejoice with those who are saved. Let's pray.